On Second Shot, we cover two new stories every week to find out what kind of wisdom the world is dishing out today. And at the heart of every one of these stories are people, just like you and me, who've had to overcome incredible odds, to face the greatest challenges, to struggle and fight back. But now, we're changing it up. In these episodes, we're skipping the headlines and going straight to the people that inspire us to grow, to be bold, seek change, and act courageously when the rest of the world may not. A second look, a second chance, a second shot. This is Second Shot Sit-Downs with your host, Jenny Anchando. Welcome to Second Shot and a Second Shot Sit Down, everybody. I'm Jenny Anchando. I, I hope you've been just enjoying these series and we try to touch on so many different topics. And today we are, well, I'll tell you a little bit about our guest. This is a Second Shot Sit Down with the 2018 Air Force Spouse of the Year. She's also a resilient speaker, a trainer, a coach. She's a 2019 top 30 women military influencer. Her name is Kristen Christie, and it is very likely that many of you have heard her story, but perhaps not in the capacity that we're going to share it with today because, because we'll be able to get deeper into how she came to build up that resilience and become the woman she is today. Welcome in, Kristen. Good to have you. Hi. Thanks, Jenny. Nice to see you. Oh my gosh. I heard about your story from another journalist, uh, and, and then I she had said, gosh, you know, you, you every, everybody has got to, wherever you are, wherever you have media, you've got to help share your platform with this woman because she's changing lives. And I went to look you up and thought, you know what, I, I agree because your story is so profound and, and I will get right to it with bringing everybody in. For those who don't know about your story, explain uh, your experience with your husband and, and your husband's suicide. Yeah, in fact, 13 years ago today, uh, the doorbell rang. Um, my husband was a senior leader in the Air Force, in the Air Force Reserve. And he, four years beforehand, he had been deployed to Baghdad. And I will say PTS was a stowaway in his bag coming home. Uh, he, he did come back different. We had two boys and um, April 21st of 20. Uh, 2008, the doorbell rang and it was the coroner and two officers and Don had taken his life. Um, okay. And it forever changed our family. Our boys were 14 and 12 at the time. Um, Gosh, Kristen, I hadn't realized that today was the anniversary. Um, and, and I'm sure even though, can you explain what grief is like on anniversaries um, and, and how the pain exists each year? Yeah, they're definitely, the pain does not go away. Um, and that's okay, but it does ease. I, I talk a lot about acronyms, being a military spouse, and, and I grew up in the Air Force. My dad was in the Air Force. Uh, we deal with acronyms, and one of the acronyms is HOPE. Hold on, pain eases. Some people will say hold on, pain ends. But I think those who have gone through an adversity and deal with pain, especially on anniversaries, it doesn't end, but it does ease. Um, and it's a, it's a time to really reflect and it's another celebration of life. Yeah. And it, it's your attitude. You okay. can remember how he died um, on this anniversary, or you can remember how he lived. He was a good leader. It, it, he, there was 
we don't want to remember him just by his final act. Sure. Um, and, and on that note, that was the next thing I wanted to talk to you about, uh, you know, with regard to Don, what, what was his military service like? What was his life like? What was he like as a husband and father? Um, so <laughs> we, we met at the University of Texas in Austin. He was in ROTC and oh, he was the gosh. only person <laughs> in the room I didn't know. So Jenny, I will tell you, I'm an uber extrovert. Oh, you don't I say. Can, <laughs> I'm shocked. I can walk into a room and suck the air right out of an introvert's lungs if I'm not careful. And Don was was an introvert and was off in a corner and he was the only person in a room I didn't know and I walked right up to him and I said, "Hi, I'm Kristen Anderson. He said, hi, I'm Don Christie. We can never get married. And I thought, what kind of pickup line is that? <laughs> and How he much said, later you did Kristen you get married? Christie. <laughs> so five months later, oh my gosh, <laughs> I had the ring on my finger. And then two years later, we got married. Uh, he was ROTC in missiles. We went to Grand Forks, North Dakota after Austin. And then came here to Colorado Springs four years after that. And, and uh, you know, his career in active duty was not going the way he planned it. And so he made a detour. He came home and he says, I think I want to separate from active duty, but I want to join the reserve, the Air Force Reserve. So he wanted to continue still serving. Um, and the what's interesting was he was part of 10th Air Force, which is there in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. Yeah. The headquarters is there. And um, he really, his career was just on a trajectory in the Air Force Reserve that was amazing. And he became a commander of a squadron. He had about 300 people in his squadron. And he came home one day in 2003 and he said, Kristen, I have been asked to get volunteers to go to Baghdad on a deployment, and I don't feel right not having my name at the top of the list. Uh -huh. And I thought, oh, what a leader, what a leader. And he was the only one chosen, but he was, he was so attentive as a, as a husband and as a father. Our boys just um, really enjoyed watching Dallas Cowboy games. We were Aww. Dallas Cowboy fans, you know. Um, he grew up in Austin, so we, uh, we inherited that, um, that love of the boys, of if course. you will, from him. And um, we just, it, it, we had a really cohesive family life. He was gone for four and a half months on a deployment. He was second in command of the Baghdad airport. We heard about Toby Keith coming through and taking a nap on his couch in his office when he did a, a USO tour. Um, but he came home with the Bronze Star. And you earn a Bronze Star. Mm. And we didn't quite know why. Mm -hmm. But he became even more reserved uh, than typical. Little things like his fingernails were bitten down to the nubs that I really didn't notice before. Okay. Um, little signs that hindsight. And, and so you think, look back and think that those, those four and a half months really changed him. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep, I, I definitely do. And, and then how, what, what happened during that time between he got back and, and his death? So we had four years and I thought, okay, we're gonna reintegrate. The military is so good about giving families information. Pre-deployment, during deployment, post-deployment. I went to every single one of those meetings. I took notes. 
Uh, it helped that I had an Air Force background. Mm-hmm. Uh, my dad was in for 32 years. And so I, I really tried to follow the checklist, if you will. And um, it, I just wanted to fix it. You know, here's a, a, a spouse and I wanted to fix it and tried to give him his space, tried to get the boys involved with him, um, really find new avenues to be a family. And again, his, his career was soaring and we had the opportunity to go to Pennsylvania for Army War College, learn Army Ease, <laughs> since I grew up in Air Force Ease. And it was a great year to reintegrate, and he and the boys reintegrated. Our marriage was still pretty rocky mm-hmm. um, and trying to work on that. And um, we were supposed to go to D.C. after um, after Pennsylvania. And six weeks beforehand, the Air Force changed its mind. I know, big shock for uh. those who are familiar with the military. They never, no, they always change their mind. <laughs> and, and we roll with the punches, right? And we came back to Colorado Springs. We actually tried to buy our old house back. <laughs> so one of the philosophies I grew up with, my mom um, was so good. She said, uh, don't take no for an answer. Um, if you get the chance, uh, take it. If it changes your life, let it. And um, so I didn't take no for an answer. I, I did. I asked if we could buy our old house back. The answer was no, which means next opportunity. Uh-huh. <laughs> and um, we tried to reintegrate into back into our community. And being gone for 11 months was really difficult because life goes on of for course. everyone else, right? But trying to reintegrate into that. And a year after we moved back is when Don took his life. We... Um, we had a really tough 12 months. I likened it to double dutch jump rope. You're tracking both that. jump ropes, right? Uh, you've got two jump ropes going and you're tracking and you're trying to jump in without tripping. Yeah. And we tripped. Yeah. We tripped. What was, It sounds like a lot of things were rocky. It wasn't like all of a sudden everything was fine and then Dawn's gone. There, right. there were, and, and what I'm hearing you say, if I'm understanding correctly, it was like the military offered these resources and you participated, but there's only so much one can do. So Jenny, that is the, that's the word right there. One, one can do, it takes two, Yeah. right? It takes two. And you can take a sick horse to water, but you can't make them drink. There was a stigma and there still is to an extent, but we're really breaking down those barriers in the military there's a stigma of seeking help, mm-hmm. um, behavioral health help. And it was, he, he just, there was no way. So I was seeking help, the boys and I were seeking help, but the person that mattered, and I will tell you that even though it, this is all hindsight, um, when you're in the midst of it, it's kind of hard to see. Yeah. Well, I had blinders on. What I feel like back, I failed as a wife. Oh, speak speak on that. Ex- expand on that. It sounds like you were doing a lot, though. I, I was, but I couldn't fix it. Yeah. I could. I wasn't. I feel like I wasn't doing the right thing, and I feel like I failed as a spouse. Um, fail is another acronym, and it took friends to help me understand. First attempt in learning, 
or further attempt in learning, right? <laughs> we don't fail one time and not do it again. What would you, um, uh, what would you do differently? What would you advise someone, anybody who's listening or watching, who's um, perhaps finds themselves in, in this same situation or a similar situation? Because undoubtedly that will be the case. So they guarantee somebody in your spot at that point is listening to this or watching this now. Um, is there anything you would have done differently? I, absolutely. Um, so I call it being compassionately intrusive. <laughs> I thought I was being compassionate. I think Don thought I was being intrusive or a nag, uh -huh. right? It's um, yeah, understanding. Yeah, and that's such a thing put on women. It's like you're already paranoid. You're like trying to be the cool wife or the not mm -hmm. annoying wife. Oh, that's that word is like such so triggering for me too. You think I don't want to be a nag, um, but but you do, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, I wish I had been a little more compassionate understanding. Okay. Um, I wish that I had sought help for him. Okay. And I didn't. Like, I like didn't. as in just, hey, look, I, I set up this appointment. It's, it's Wednesday after you get off work. I'll, I'll drive you there and kids and I will get ice cream and come pick you up. Is that what you mean? It, it, absolutely. Okay. Um, or, or gotten more help for him through me. You know, again, this was 13 years ago. Things have changed a lot. We have a lot of resources available for the military and the veteran community um, to to get help. It it won't necessarily affect your career. Uh, we're hearing more and more stories about that and how it just getting reaching out for the resources and the best time to find the resources is when you're in a good place. Mm. Um, whether it's for you or someone in your sphere of influence, someone that you love. But I would have, you know, Jenny, this is something I've, I'm working on right now, um, a virtual reality training for suicide prevention for the Air Force. And it's, you know, you put on the goggles and you ask the question that is so hard to ask. And I wish I had asked it back then. Are you thinking of harming yourself? Are you thinking of suicide? And I think we don't ask the question because we don't want to hear the answer. Oh my gosh, you took the words out of my mouth. I, I was just thinking, Kristen, I've wondered that before too with loved ones, but I don't because you don't want to know and you just want to hope for the best. I don't know. Why is it? It's almost like we think that by asking, it's going to make it more likely that they will do it, which is proven to not necessarily be the case. Right. There is research that that you know dispels that myth that if you talk about it, you're putting the thought into someone's head, and you aren't really. If you talk about it, if you ask the question, and you have the resources to to arm yourself for that answer of yes. I, I think we don't want to hear yes because we don't know what to do. What are we supposed right. to do? But when we're prepared, we arm ourselves with the weapons and the armor that we need for this emotional battlefield. Uh -huh. And on this battlefield, there is no room for strangers. There's no room for silence. But when you have the resources available, but when you ask the question, you are looking at the person, you're asking them, and you are seeing them. They feel seen, they feel heard, they feel understood, and it's that connectivity. Uh-huh. 
Uh huh. Yeah, you have to be brave to do that, or or even just know to do that. So I appreciate you saying that. I think that that will be helpful to many. I, I also wanted to talk, Kristen, about what you know. The, then the impact was on your boys. They were quite young, um, very much at an age of understanding when they lost their dad, and and what the mental health impact was on them. Because I know it was great. Yeah, um, I I remember after being told about the coroner, I just kept saying, my poor boys, my poor mm -hmm. boys. Um, and I knew that it was going to, you know, it was a choice that, that Don made that was going to affect them for the rest of their life. Um, Ryan, our oldest son, was 14. He was a month from turning 15. And kind of at that age is where um, boys turn more to their father than their mother. Mm -hmm. um, and, and Ryan really, both boys, um, looked up to Don um, a year after uh, Don's suicide, Ryan was diagnosed with bipolar. And I will say, Jenny, I am not, I'm not a counselor. <laughs> I feel like I'm a subject matter expert on okay. overcoming. Yeah. Um, but the counselors had told me that they thought that the suicide had triggered bipolar early. Bipolar typically presents itself in the early to mid-20s and Ryan was 16, and I think if he had matured those five, six, seven years, things would have turned out differently. Um, and how did you find that out? Find out that about, about, his, about him being bipolar? Was it, was it because of something he had done, or was it because, okay, we went into counseling after, after Dad died? Yeah, we went into counseling right away. Yeah. I knew that, uh, you know, I wanted to to get the boys in there and because I couldn't I couldn't be mom and dad and counselor and and all of that um, and there were I will admit there were some days my boys didn't go to school because I didn't get my butt out of bed I was in a fetal position yeah understandable. Um, and um, so they were in counseling both the boys were in counseling and Ryan was just having such a tough time um, and he was just you know, really up one day and really down the next day. It was what they call rapid, um, uh, rapid cycling for bipolar. And so the suicide didn't cause bipolar. It just pre helped, it triggered it to present early. But he got into trouble at school. He got into um, drugs. He ran away from home. Our relationship was so contentious. And I just, I, I didn't know what to do. I was trying. Um, uh, he got himself clean. It, we got him into the, the legal system, which mm -hmm. was so hard as a mom mm -hmm. to file a police report because he stole my, my checks and was writing bad checks to drug dealers. And they were coming to the house and vandalizing our ha house and our cars. Oh, um, Kristen. And that was really, really tough as a mama to do that, but I think that truly saved his life. And uh, we did it before he turned 18, just before he turned 18. So he was in the juvenile system mm -hmm. and it turned his life around. Um, he got clean, our uh, dentist redid his teeth because he had meth mouth. Um, as long as he had been clean for two years, he started his own company doing beautiful concrete countertops. He was an artist, it was amazing. And one day he came to me and he said, Mom, I want to go to Hawaii. Now, I will say our relationship was mended. Mm -hmm. 
um, we had a very close relationship and he came back and he said, mom, you were the only one that stood by me during this whole time, this tumultuous time. Yeah. And he appreciated that. Um, but, uh, Ryan, I, Ryan has been missing for 2039 days. Hmm. Uh, September 20th of 2015 was the last time I saw him. Um, from what I understand, he's not used his passport. He has not used his social security number in those five years. Um, he said he's off the grid somewhere. I, as a mom, I want to know uh, if he's on this side of heaven or not. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, that's hope. Hold on, pain eases. And Jenny, I will say thank you for the opportunity because as we get our story out, one, it helps me heal. And two, unapologetically, I'm a little selfish because maybe he's in the viewing area and he says, I need to call mom. Yeah, that was when we initially spoke, I thought if for no other reason, we need to continue to speak about um, this man who is not connected to his family and maybe wants to be reconnected. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about Ryan? What uh, What do you think he may be doing? What What were his interests? I know that it sounds like he started his company, and and when he went to Hawaii, was was there intention? Was it a trip? Was it like, hey, I'm going to go live there for a while, or, or what, what was that journey like? Yeah. So Ryan is twenty, would be twenty seven now, um, and when he went to Hawaii, it was for a four month apprenticeship to learn self-sustaining farming, yoga, and meditation. He had the money. He said, Mom, I just need to reset. Mm-hmm. It was a reset time for him. Uh, later, we found out he never showed up. He didn't even have an application. Uh, when when we found that out, we went through the things that he stored in our garage for him because he was going to come back and just start with a clean slate. And... Um, we found a book on how to how to disappear and how to change your identity and um, um, I, very artistic, musically just amazing. Played the piano and the saxophone and he sang and he composed his own music. Um, he was an artist, you know, with with paint and. Um, I, I have hope that he's out there and he's he's doing well, but uh, would would love to connect with him again. I, um, I will say that he he attempted suicide mm-hmm. um, during that time, and our youngest son Ben had attempted suicide as well. And I, again, I'm not a therapist; I'm a mom. And um, in our family, it was contagious. Yeah, suicide was contagious. And, and and what do you, what was going on with Ben? Can you explain those circumstances and, and his age? I mean, clearly we hear what's, what was going on with Ben. That seems like an obvious question, but um, you know, each person deals with things individually and I'd like to hear about Ben's story too. Yeah, they, they do. Uh, ben is very much a leader. He's 25 now and lives in uh, at Edwards Air Force Base in Lancaster, California, working for the government uh-huh. uh, there. And um, it wasn't always easy for him 
dealing with his his older brother mm-hmm. and the uh, we call it shenanigans right the shenanigans at, at school and all with Ryan because um, he was a if we can set the stage it sounds he was the younger brother but his older brother was it sounds like getting in trouble becoming addicted having his mom who was at the time I don't know if you were kind of single mom in it at the time or if if you're remarried by them, but like a very chaotic situation for a little boy. It, it was, and he was really, as I'm dealing with Ryan and all of that turmoil, I had another child to raise. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and Ben was is an athlete. He was a three-sport athlete like I was in, in high school. And that was his, uh, his therapy, although he did go to a counselor. Um, sometimes he just sat there for an hour he didn't want to talk, but that was okay. It still took him. Uh, but he had this community of friends in the on, on his football team and basketball team and wrestling um, that just came alongside of him. And Ryan just didn't have that same caliber of friends. Mm-hmm. Uh, ben did attempt suicide eight years later. Mm. So on his 20th birthday, uh, he was at the University of Arizona in Tucson, and um, in the morning, I checked, I turned my phone on after, you know, in the morning when I woke up, and there was a voicemail from Ben. And I will say, I think, I'm being very general here, uh-huh. but uh, typically when we have kids that age and they call, it's for a reason. Oh my <laughs> gosh. They much rather text, right? Oh, yes. <laughs> That's a generalization, and, but it's pretty accurate. <laughs> yeah. So I received this voicemail that just was a, um, tore my heart apart. Here's this 20 year old young man on his birthday, eight years after his dad died, just sobbing, missing his dad. He can't live without his dad. Uh, and we use that voicemail in um in our story in our family story and he gave me permission to to use that when i speak and train um and present and i will tell you that voicemail alone has saved lives Mm. it has helped people pause to think about others Mm. because when when they're in that dark moment they they can't see past those blinders um, and it's it's haunting, but it has done so much good. But he had his community alongside of him, his roommates, his fraternity brothers, got him help. He was on a 72-hour hold. And even though he was on a 72-hour hold and was cutting, uh-huh. he was in so much pain. Um, he has a clearance today. He was honest. Mm-hmm. You know, seeking behavioral health or mental health services is not a career ender. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he's, he's doing really well now. I, I will say he took up crocheting as a a form of therapy. Yeah. (laughs) And when he went off to college, he wasn't telling his frat brothers that he, he crocheted, you know? (laughs) So, um, he crocheted a halter top for his girlfriend. She broke up with him before he could gift it to her. So he puts the halter top on, snaps a picture, puts it on Instagram and Twitter, sells it, and then gets 500 orders for crochet counter or um, halter tops. 
That girlfriend's and he regretting calls it. me, <laughs> and and of course the call, right? He calls me, and he says, "Mom, what am I going to do? I'm trying to graduate, 20 hours in aerospace engineering, trying to find a job, and I have 500 orders for these halter tops." <laughs> so we we talked about. It. I said you should have gone into business <laughs> instead of aerospace engineering first. Yeah. But he ended up teaching his frat brothers how to brochet. <laughs> Semantics. Oh my gosh, that's so fun. And so they were able to fulfill the orders and they got some money in their pocket. Plus, they learned this great hobby. This re It truly is a resource for Ben. It's kind of mindless. He just has to count. He, he does his own patterns. Um, but that is a resource that he found that he has used to help with his anxiety and, and depression. And so he was able to pause to get the help and to, to really like dig a little bit deeper into that. And I, and I guess in turn, you know, you hate for it to happen in the scene of being around those fraternity brothers, but I can't help but, but wonder if some of those men's lives have been changed too by seeing, you know, see, seeing what happened and then how he came out of it. Uh, absolutely. And it's finding new avenues, right, for, um, finding new avenues for talents, finding new avenues um, to help other people. Um, you know, I talked about hope, hold on, pain eases. There's another definition of hope, help one person every day. And sometimes when you're in crisis and you need to rely on hold on, pain eases, when you can help one person every day, that helps the pain ease. Yes, it really, I, I couldn't agree more. I, I've been starting to hear sort of, it wasn't that exact same one that you were saying, but it just really does get the focus off of you, um, mm -hmm. which is, you guys, if, you, if you're feeling kind of like in that deep, dark spot, um, just <laughs> crawling up for a second to help somebody does seem to help. The other thing that, Kristen, that you have, have mentioned is, um, and I, I read a quote of yours that said, suicide is contagious, but a smile is contagious. Can you explain what you mean by that? Yeah, you know, and, and with the virus and wearing masks, I will tell you, you can still tell when someone smiles. Yes. Their eyes, especially mine, they kind of squint. Um, but you can tell when people smile and it there's a reaction to it. It is contagious. It kind of helps you smile, even if it's a little smile because you're going through some things right now. Um, it's, it's important in that eye contact and using people's names, like, you know, a lot of people wear name tags. Mm -hmm. Use their name because then you see them as a person, mm -hmm. it's part of their identity. Mm -hmm. It's the name that their mom and dad gave them mm -hmm. uh, in most cases. And if you don't know how to pronounce their name, ask them and see them light up because you're seeing them as a human being um, and you're taking an interest in them. It's that connectivity again yeah. that is, is so important. There's a saying, and I'm not sure who said it, but it takes nothing away from a burning candle to light another candle. It takes no wick, no wax, no fire. But can you imagine if, if you pass on the light that you have, even if it's dim, it illuminates someone's world and it can illuminate your world too. If you think about uh, Christmas Eve service, we're singing Silent Night mm -hmm. with all the lights down. 
and you have one candle and you pass it and pretty soon it's it's just illuminated. I've got goosebumps right now. Oh, but yes, me too. That smile, that smile, pass it on, right? Yes. Because you never know. And, and you know, you are considered a, a resilience expert. And I, I mean, truly everybody in this world does have a story. I, I believe that I could do a sit down like this every single day for the rest of my life and never run out of brilliant uh, content and special stories. Um, but I have to say, Kristen, you've, you've been through a lot, um, clearly but yet you still managed to have this bright spot. I could, on, when I talked to you on the phone, I even thought, wow, this woman is something special. Um, where does that come from and, and how, can, <laughs> how can we get some? <laughs> um, you know, so I wasn't always this way, especially after the suicide yeah. um, was, was really tough, but uh, I've learned lessons in my life and I can look back and the lessons that I've learned um, are one, I'm stronger than I really think I am. And I want to help people see that because I didn't see it in myself. I had to have people tell me, Kristen, you are strong. And that's what I want to do for other people. We see potential in other people much more than we see in ourselves a lot of times. Mm, um, my faith is so very important. I stand on a firm foundation of faith and that has really gotten me through uh, a lot. But the superpower in community. We aren't made to do life alone. When we can come alongside someone else and understand, not, not go through the same adversity. We've all been um, on the pain scale 10 out of 10, mm -hmm. right? At the time, at that very moment, it feels like a 10 out of 10. And we can empathize with that. And we... Um, <laughs> So uh, some of my friends called me the emotional support human. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, but because we go through adversities, uh, we build perseverance. And that perseverance, we build character. And through that character, we build hope. And because there's hope for tomorrow, there's power in today. And when we can come alongside and tutor people, uh, Vernon Law, the athlete, I love the saying, and I start my presentations with it. It's life is a tough teacher. We get the test first and then we learn the lesson. It was such an aha moment for me. It was like, yes. And sometimes it feels like a pop quiz, a yeah. midterm or final. And sometimes right? you feel like, why so many tests? Is that all exactly. we do is tests? God, don't trust me so much. <laughs> I'm just learning the lesson from the last one. Yes. There's a country song, when you're going through hell, keep on driving. <laughs> I love that one. Um, so I, I challenge people, when you're going through hell, keep on going. That's resiliency is getting through. Some people will say resilience is about bouncing back. And I think that's phase one of resilience. But if you think of that bozo, the clown that we had, that I had growing up, where you blew him up and he had sand at the bottom and you punched him and he bounced back up, guess what? He was in the same spot. I do not want to be in the same spot when I bounce back <laughs> for very true. long, right? <laughs> so true. you get through it and when you're going through hell, keep on going, but look in your rear view mirror because someone is coming behind you. They're going through their own hell. They're going through their own 10 out of 10 on the pain scale. And there is something so therapeutic about tutoring them through their lesson mm -hmm. because you've already been through it or something similar. 
Oh, Kristen, this has been so good. I promised to only keep you for 30 minutes. We went a little bit over, but I um, sincerely appreciate it. And I, and I want our audience, I know our audience is going to want to um, support your foundation. How can people find out about that and learn more? Yeah, I have a nonprofit for veterans. We are teaching paraplegic veterans how to fly a helicopter. Um, and so <laughs> Go our nonprofit. Kristen. Yes, we are the only, we have the only apparatus FAA approved. So we're excited about that. And it's through the patenting process right now. But it's National Veterans Vocational Village or nv3foundation.org. And um, I so appreciate the opportunity to just chat with you and have a conversation. And um, thank you so much. And I do want to leave your viewers with, um, with a little tidbit. We yes, talked about hope. Do hold on, pain eases, and hope, help one person every day, but I leave you with hope is not canceled. That's a perfect way to end, Kristen. Thank you for infusing so much hope into uh, myself and to probably our crew that's listening right now and, and our audience as well. Um, thinking of you specifically today um, for so many reasons, and I just thank you for being open and for um, spreading joy to us today. Thank you, Jenny. Thanks for the opportunity. I hope to see you in person someday. Yes, next time you're in Texas, let me know. We'll do an, we'll an in-person interview. And you guys, don't forget, you can find us at secondshotpodcast.com. And of course, these episodes air every Thursday on CW33 if you happen to be in the Metroplex. If not, they drop on every single podcast platform on Thursdays. You know where to find it, Spotify, iHeartRadio, your iTunes app, whatever the case may be. And be sure to leave us a rating or review. We'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye.